Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on names on holiday cards, how to insist on cooking the entire Thanksgiving meal, reaching out for recommendations after a few years' time, and communicating cultural differences in wedding plans. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and postscript segment on the courteous no. For awesome etiquette sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about walking to a table and who should go first. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Football! I know. We used to talk about football all the time on this show. (laughs) And people told us to stop. (laughs) I think we appropriately reined it in ourselves. I think so. I'm a happy football fan this week, and I apologize to any Rams listeners out there for killing your undefeated season. But my Saints amazingly won. And that was a hard game. The Saints are so much fun to watch this year. (laughs) It's been a blast. I bet you have enjoyed yourself. I have enjoyed myself. But you enjoy yourself no matter who is playing. And you and your group of guy friends who now most everybody has a wife or partner now, right? Yeah, pretty much. You guys still do your annual Sunday, annual regular weekly Sunday thing, right? We do. I am part of a fantasy football league that has been in existence since before the internet. We still <laughs> get together and draft in person with a big whiteboard. And once upon a time, people used to call in their lineups to the commissioner. <laughs> it is all guys. It is all, well, now men. I used to say young men. We're not also young anymore. Dudes. <laughs> who mostly went to high school together and mostly live in the same couple communities. Yeah, everybody moved back home. So there's a 15, 20-year tradition to this league, and there are certain traditions that have evolved over time. And one of them is there's a a subgroup that all get together and watch games on Sundays whenever possible. Okay. And the part of that tradition that I think sort of perked your interest as we were talking about it the other week (laughs) is that we all have this, this coded language for organizing the meal. The host is usually responsible for the main course. This week it will be a glazed ham. Last week I did a tortilla soup. The week before that, my brother had done a shepherd's pie. And then people chime in with the sides that they're going to bring or the dessert or the bread. And the host is kind of expected to initiate, make the invite, (laughs) sort of call out the main course. And then there's an expectation that you're going to chime in with what you're going to bring, your arrival, and who's coming with you. It's just me this week. It's the wife. It's Cousin Josh, there there are a couple of other sort of satellite characters that are often part of it. And I started to 
realize as I was describing this to you what a system it is and how the hosting roles and the guest roles are all very etiquette. I was going to say they're in place, etiquettical. <laughs> Watching you enjoy hearing about this was that it's all of the guys who are sitting around working on the details of this meal and all of the wives get to come along and kind of party. And it's definitely <laughs> something that everybody enjoys. No, it it is enjoyable. It was what I, I liked because it just shows that it doesn't have to be the women in the kitchen cooking everything and the women don't have to organize every kind of social get together. And it's nice to hear about male groups who do a really good job of it. Frankly, I think more what I was entertained by was just I know my cousins well. <laughs> and 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 hearing you describe, you know, yourself and your brother who are both in this and participating, like I I actually really delight in thinking about Will cooking up a shepherd's pie and being proud to serve it. And it's not because it should be funny that he does, but for all that, you know, we have come so far in terms of gender stereotypes um, and, and, tra- and traditions according to gender, we also, a lot of people do just choose to fall into those roles in a lot of the time. And it's not always something that's thought about a whole lot. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. I did kind of like the, the happenstance way that all the guys of your group have really, you know, the, it, you guys really are the group. And I just I like the fact that you don't just treat it like bags of chips and whatever jar of salsa you can grab. It's like a real deal entertaining every single week. (laughs) The other thing that occurred to me is that I often think of myself as the not social one that I I sort of (laughs) lean on Pooja to get me out and be sure we have a social schedule. And she she does a lot of that coordination. All of a sudden, I was sort of hand on hip thinking to myself, you know, I do my part. It might be. (laughs) built around football but it's a real thing and <laughs> children play and food is served it's it's good and it and is it is it's very good it was fun to see it through your eyes and thank you for letting me share it in this introduction speaking of gender and gendered courtesies something yes. else came up i know and I, I wrote this into the script and we haven't heard anything from anybody yet but i want to pre-apologize because in the I think two episodes ago, I was responding to one of our listeners about pronouns and the use of they, them pronouns. And I tried very hard in my response to use they, them pronouns correctly with my response. And I think I got it wrong a few times. And I I remember leaving. It wasn't right after the studio, but it was a few days later. And it was after we'd already like checked the show and set it to air. And I was like, I think I was saying they is a bunch and it should be they are. And, you know, they are a writer or, you know, they are uh, into this or that sort of thing. And I think I said they is a number of times. So I just wanted to pre-apologize in case I haven't gone back and actually listened to the tape to find out. But I did want to pre-apologize. Well, it didn't jump out to me. But (laughs) I certainly know that feeling of looking back and thinking to myself, did I say that? Was that right? After, frankly, the barn door is open and the horses are out. Yes. (laughs) Thanks. Speaking of putting shows in the bank, we have a show to get to. We absolutely do. And we have some really great questions today. Let's get to it. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day... We here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. 
StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Sustaining members, remember to put sustaining member in your subject line. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Our first question is titled The Name Game. Hello, I love listening to your show, and I must say that you have truly changed the way that I approach practicing good etiquette. I have a question regarding personalized holiday cards. You can usually order them from print shops with or without photos, and they usually feature the name or names of those sending the card. I have decided to make our cards this year and was questioned by a friend about how I have included my name and my husband's name in the design. I chose to be informal and use our first names in the greeting. It reads, Merry Christmas, June and Joe. Those are not our real names, by the way. But both of our names do begin with the same letter. My friend was horrified that my husband's name was not first. She found it disrespectful. She looked at me as though I had just come to dinner, put my feet up on the table, and blew my nose on her napkin. She was that disgusted. My husband asked that I put my name first because he found it more visually appealing. Mind that these are family and close friends who will be receiving it. My friend is also older, and I'm not sure if this is a generational thing or if we have truly botched our cards. Are we socially inept? I didn't think that we were violating the tenets of kindness, honesty, consideration, and respect. Is there a better way to do this? What is the correct way to personalize our cards? I may simply change the wording to read, Merry Christmas, the Smiths. Also not us, by the way. Thank you in advance for your help. Best, just trying to spread some cheer. <laughs> it's that time of year. Yes, it is. We are back. The holidays are here. Happy Diwali, everybody. Yesterday, the Sending Gupta family celebrated with another couple in the neighborhood, and the pictures were flying fast and furious across the <laughs> WhatsApp. 
And I'm thinking about this because there were also some really fun holiday spirited themed pictures that are going to make great pictures for our later in the holiday season holiday cards. So how are you going to put your names on those cards? You know, I hadn't thought about it yet till I got this question. I think that June and Joe are doing just fine. I think so, too. It matters not. You can do either name first. Particularly in the informal spirit of this kind of card. Yeah. The rules are changing. We talked a lot about these new holiday traditions that are emerging around these cards that are sort of postcardy often that people are sending out to broad lists that are kind of taking over that holiday newsletter feeling card or or letter that people used to send out. No, 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 no. My friend people still do all of the above. (laughs) In fact, some people get the printed postcard style and then put it in with the sheet of paper and send it in a regular envelope. There are so many options. There are options. That's the thing. And it can become confusing. And you can see when moments like this happen between friends. I really enjoy this new tradition. I like these cards that have the pictures of the family that end up becoming a collage on our refrigerator at home. They're great reminders about all of the people in our lives. I think it's a a really nice tradition. And mostly I want to give kudos for participating in it, for making an effort to send that card, to touch base with family and friends in this way. And I think it's unfortunate that you ended up feeling judged or scolded for an order of operation in terms of the names. There is a a traditional etiquette. You don't separate a man from his last name thought where when you wrote people's names out more formally, the woman came first and the man's first name and the last name that he was born with were kept together. And that was one way to remember how to do it. And there was also an idea in many people's minds that there was a lady's first honor that was afforded in terms of that. That was another way I've heard of thinking about that. I've always wondered about that, too, because I've never been able to confirm that the ladies first was a reason for doing it. I've only ever been able to confirm that you didn't separate a man from his name. But those were just two ways I remember totally. what it was supposed to, how you were supposed to do it. Totally. But even in this situation, you all are already using just your first names on this. And it really matters not whether the gentleman's name or lady's name goes first. And so really feel good that you don't have to go change a thing on that form. June and Joe, not your real names, um, are absolutely fine to use in that way. And if Dan and his family is doing the cards this year and just writes Dan and Pooj because it was faster off the top of the head just the way it happens, I don't think Pooj is going to be upset about it. (laughs) Or that was how we appeared in the the picture. One of us is on the right, one of us is on on the the left. left. It would probably be that kind of thing that would really be most likely to determine it And excuse me, Dan, Pooj, and Anisha, my bad. (laughs) Or Anisha, Dan, and Pooj. You never know. Or Anisha and Raju. Typically, you do put parents' names first and then kids and then pets, but you don't have to do it that way. (laughs) But we think that you can happily and and quietly just ignore your friend's comments and, you know, it's the way that you chose to do it and say, oh, well, that's the way we're doing them this year. And that is it. She can, you know, put, put her husband's name first on her card and feel really great about that. We hope this answer helps you feel a little more comfortable with the decision that you made this year and that you're able to proceed with this friend and in the future using those tenets of consideration, respect, and honesty. If you have any problems like those you've just seen, talk them over. Get them settled. 
because the only way to have a friend is to be one. And friendship is one of the most precious things in life. Our next question is titled, No problem, for real, I want to. Please let me cook in peace. The holidays are indeed here. <laughs> Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you so much for hosting such a fantastic podcast. I grew up reading Emily Post, so I love that I get a weekly dose of etiquette. My husband and I very happily host both of our families, generally around 14 people, for Thanksgiving dinner. I love hostessing and setting a formal table for Thanksgiving dinner. I created a Thanksgiving handbook when we started hosting with plans and timelines for Thanksgiving preparations. My husband and I are in our late 20s. We don't have children yet and are lucky enough to have a nice home with enough space to host everyone comfortably. I have a Thanksgiving dinner conundrum. We keep a fairly kosher home and kitchen, and I genuinely love to cook, so I always prepare the entire meal. My problem has come from both sides of the family heavily pushing me to save myself the trouble from having to prepare the whole meal by making the evening a potluck or ordering food in. I understand that these methods work for many families and helps for the holidays to run smoothly, but I personally look forward to cooking the entire meal. I love the joy of preparing my food from scratch with high-quality ingredients and putting my heart and soul into my food. Each year, our guests tell me that they are blown away by the meal, and I am known as the official cook of both families. I feel like I need some help with a script to help our families understand that I want to cook everything and that it is no trouble at all. I have a very precise timeline and system down so that the entire meal is ready at the same time, not late, well presented, and piping hot. Managing additional dishes that I have to keep warm and worrying that someone has brought something that does not adhere to our kosher lifestyle causes me more stress. Alternatively, am I being rude and breaking an etiquette rule by providing the entire meal? If a family member insists on bringing something, I generally suggest an appetizer to share, rolls, additional beverages, an extra dessert, etc. My side of the family does not enjoy cooking, and my in-laws are generally the same. Both sets of our parents do very generously volunteer to financially contribute toward groceries and the fresh turkey since I insist on cooking. I understand that this is coming from a place of love, and they don't want me to stress myself out. My mom has accepted that I prefer it this way and is happy to make herself available as my assistant in the kitchen should I need an extra set of hands, but I need the rest of my family to also see that it really makes me happy to provide the meal for everyone. Thanks so much for your thoughts. Amanda, cooking control freak. Amanda, I feel like without stepping on your kitchen toes, I want to come and cook Thanksgiving dinner with you. It sounds like so much and take fun. Notes. You sound like 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 a woman after my own heart. Like I totally get that feeling of wanting to do everything. It becomes a challenge. You want to, you know, rise to it. You're going to Martha Stewart yourself all out and just make this amazing. Like it's it's fun. It is seriously just the same way Dan has fun figuring out what he's going to make for the football thing each week. Like it is really really fun. And so I I get this. <laughs> I totally totally get. Don't you get that like Yes. People love doing this. And as a host, there's nothing that says you have to make a meal that is potluck. There's nothing that says you have to let your guests bring anything. In fact, it's often the case that it's the host who just simply decides. And whatever it is that you are deciding to invite people to, they should then feel comfortable coming or declining. And that's that's the game we play as hosts and guests, right? You almost just covered the 
totality of my script notes oh, for this reply. <laughs> I didn't mean to. <laughs> no, it, it was really you're the host, and one yeah. of the great joys of being the host is that you do have that that position, that authority, that ability to make some decisions, give some direction, and to run the meal the way you'd like. And of course, you're doing all the good hosting things yeah. of. Thinking about your guests, thinking about what makes them comfortable, even thinking about how to make them comfortable as you decline their offers for help. Yeah. This tells me that you're an excellent host. And that also the way you describe your preparation, your work, the enjoyment that you take playing this role. But feel confident that that is the role that you have taken on and that it really gives you the ability to to make those decisions and make those calls. And it sounds like it's working. Yeah. No, it does. Um, some things that come to mind here are that Amanda's let us know that her families both aren't big cooks. It's not like, you know, like my sister makes amazing pies. I would never take away from just because I hosted at my house or something like that. I would never want to take that off her plate because it's what she loves contributing. But two things can happen here. One, really honestly conveying to them how much you love doing it on your own, that this is your thing. This is what you are happy to do. This is, in fact, the way you prefer it. It's a challenge to yourself, something you're proud of. Give them all the positive. I'm in the zone with this. But I would also venture that it's probably a good idea to say to them, I'm really comfortable doing it, but is there anything you were hoping might change? Because you never know, Amanda, when someone might be actually really wanting a specific potato recipe or one of those side dishes. And it's not just a could I bring, you know, the beverages or some extra plastic cups, although it doesn't sound like Amanda's using plastic cups. Um, but they might be looking for that opening to be able to bring something that they really love to the meal. And traditionally, Thanksgiving, according nostalgically to the very first Thanksgivings, they were community events and it was really a potluck style. And so you might be battling just a little bit of like holiday nostalgia going on here. What do you think? Am I crazy? No, I think that is a great etiquette answer. I (laughs) I was thinking very similarly to you about the communicating enthusiastically, genuinely, warmly about how much you enjoy it. I, I could feel it reading the question and... I do think that that's the most likely, the sort of core thought in your guest minds, that they don't want to burden you, that they, they want to know that you actually enjoy it yeah. as much as they probably enjoy the fact participating that <laughs> in that meal. <laughs> Sounds so good. I like your sort of follow-up thought to that of just making that room, breathing life into the space that will allow people to offer their thoughts or their contributions if if there is something else yeah. to those offers. The other thought that I had was you gave some great um, options for things that people could do. You could bring some rolls. You could bring some desserts. I was also thinking about letting people know they could bring a game or a favor, something to do at the event. might start to grow that community feel that that I think you're talking about. And keep people out of the kitchen. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Um, Just side benefit there, Amanda. Just thinking about it. (laughs) Uh, Table decorations. Yes. Party favors. These are other ways that you can grow the party, grow that community feel, let people participate. There are ways people can help and you can still keep them out of the kitchen. I'm thinking very specific tasks and this is in the Trisha Post. If she were to write out her Thanksgiving book, you are going to help me take people's coats and shuttle them to the room where the coats are kept and retrieve them at the end of the night. You are going to help with the clearing tasks. You are going to help 
be sure there is always a log on the fire, whatever it is yeah, that's yeah, yeah. party support so that she can really focus on that meal. And the kitchen, yeah. And I think she probably selectively chooses the kitchen aides that she can trust and count on because I notice her <laughs> daughters are often at hand or nearby <laughs> on those tasks. Dan, don't um, tell all my mom's secrets. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But the, 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 there are other ways that people can help, the, the chip-in help. Yeah. In my family, the Thanksgiving tradition – on the sending side is that the relatives that come up from Boston to Vermont mm-hmm. bring a large deli lunch, a mezzanine oh. lunch from a Lebanese deli. And it's almost my favorite part of the it's Thanksgiving like tradition. Thanksgiving. <laughs> it happens earlier in the day before the big sort of yeah. late lunch dinner that happens yeah. in the afternoon. And everyone gets a snack early in the day that we all look forward to that's not available here in Waterbury, Vermont. Totally. Hey, wait, you had a suggestion in your notes, though, that I think is really great. You have have me over next week or take me out to lunch. I love that. I love that. I, I almost want like Amanda's parents to get together and say, hey, does someone want to get these guys a breakfast basket for the next day? You know, just like one easy thing as a thank you. But It's, it's, it's a fine etiquette I line. Know, it's dicey, but not bad. Directing gift giving, directing how people thank you. But if people are persistent in wanting to show their appreciation and it's really not what you want to get mashed potatoes and gravy that night. So you know what would be really nice is I'd love to to see you the next week and we yeah. can talk about I'd X, love to y, just get Z. together. Yeah, exactly. And then be... <laughs> it's it's a definitely a really big redirect, but it's it can be pulled off well. The last thought I want to leave Amanda with is that you might consider if maybe it is the menu that people are hoping to be a little inspirational about as well, that you might offer to cook a specific dish for someone. So like, for instance, my Uncle Jay really loved um, mashed potatoes the way his mother would make it. And I think that was with like peas and carrots mixed in and stuff like that. And it wasn't our family tradition, but my mom made them for him that way anyway. And it just was easy. You know, he didn't have to deal with making the dish, but she could do it and knew all the types of things that Amanda's talking about, which is how many side dishes do I have? What do I have room for in the oven and on the stove? You know, she's got all the timing planned out and it's a lot to plan out and keep warm and get it all ready. So I can understand the not wanting to just do someone else's dish. But if early enough on in the process, you're asking for things like a recipe or someone's personal favorite something, I think you can work it into the menu that you've created. I'm ready for the Thanksgiving holiday. I'm this has so got me ready so for hungry. Thanksgiving, I want mashed potatoes and stuffing and gravy and Brussels sprouts and green beans. And you're going to have to stop me somewhere. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep going right to the grocery store. Amanda, thank you so much for this question. I hope this year's holiday goes smashingly and that you get all the help you need without it being a problem. And please send us a picture of your final spread. I'm dying to see what this looks like. She likes arranging a pretty table for the whole family to enjoy during dinner. Then before long, the table's all set, ready for dinner. And out in the kitchen, the dinner's all ready to set on the table. And Mother says, we'll be ready to eat as soon as Father comes home. My, I hope he's not late, don't you? Our next question is about reaching out for recommendation letters. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I am a longtime listener of Awesome Etiquette, and I'm a huge fan of the podcast. Thank you. 
My question for you is related to seeking letters of recommendation. I am in the process of applying to graduate school and have begun reaching out to potential references. I graduated from college back in 2015, so my application will most likely incorporate professional references. However, I am aiming to include at least one academic reference to help round out my applications. The problem here is that I have not been the best at keeping in contact with the professors with whom I worked closely as an undergraduate. I finally mustered the nerve to send an email to my former advisor. I did my best to make it friendly, direct, and unassuming so that if this professor did not feel comfortable writing a recommendation for me, there was an easy out to say so. It's been a week since I sent this email, and I've yet to hear back. While I understand it's a busy time of year for professors, I do need to know if I can count on this recommendation or if I should move on to other potential references. In this case, is it appropriate to send a follow-up email? If so, how would you phrase the email if you were in my position? Or should I interpret this silence as a no and move on to other professors? It's getting very late in the game, so I'd like to have my references squared away as soon as I can. Any insights would be much appreciated. Thank you for taking the time to read my email, Rachel. Rachel, good luck with this application process. I don't envy you. I find it so difficult and awkward to reach out for recommendations, even though it is a normal, usual part of this process and there's really no reason to feel awkward or strange about it. There's something about asking for help that I find difficult. This is a kind of asking for help. I am so able to ask for help. You're really good at it. <laughs> Thanks for saying that because I think I'm just I'm, I'm naggy or annoying about it. But One of the things that I like about watching how you operate, Cousin Lizzie, is that <laughs> Sorry. people like helping you. That If you're willing to ask for help, if you just let people know. It's it's really remarkable how available, how willing people are to help each other out. And I want to sort of give Rachel that same perspective that it's perfectly okay to follow up. It's been a week. This isn't a pushy or quick follow up. In right. fact, a week is in my mind kind of about that time frame that I would want to let something like this land and breathe precisely because it's been a little while since you've talked to this person. You're not probably on their immediate task list, if they are a professor who's busy, who's working, you just don't know exactly where this falls. I mean, best practice would be for this person to get back to you quicker, even if the recommendation was going to take a little while. Yeah. But it's entirely possible that they're intending to do this. And it's also been long enough that it's okay for you to check in on it. Yeah. Typically with, with anything somewhat business related, and I consider this still business related even though we're in academia, I would say that you um, you do a generally a week and often your check-in is really – you were asking for sample language, excuse me. It's really just to make sure the person received it. Um, and that's also where you can offer up the follow-up know of if, if t- this is too busy of a time, please feel free to just let me know. The other thing I want to let you know is don't let this hold you back from asking for other recommendations. There's no reason – It's not like you have to get one and then not ask anybody else. You could send out 10 emails just like this on the very same day and see how many you get and then pick and choose which recommendation you actually use. Start thinking of other possibilities just in case, dot, dot, dot. And there could be any kind of just in case. You could get that recommendation. It could not be very well written or it couldn't address the attributes that you're really trying to emphasize in your application. They might just be late getting it to you. You might want to keep this process moving. I don't know what your deadlines are, but you're already getting some sense that this person's responses aren't – they're not really quick. They're not as timely as you might imagine you'd like them. So just start to have your backup plan in place. And 
they also might not be interested in writing you a letter of recommendation and they might say that and that would be the appropriate response rather than ignoring your request. Right. Because this person was your advisor, because you did have this relationship with them as an undergraduate, this advisor advisee relationship, they're the appropriate person for you to make this ask of and because of that history, because of the history of that relationship – it's likely that what this person owes you if they're not going to do it is a I wouldn't feel comfortable writing this recommendation. And and that's OK for someone to say. People don't have to write recommendations for everyone that they've Correct. worked with. But that denial should come in the form of a an actual denial, not just ignoring your request. Absolutely. Rachel, we hope that this helps and that you feel confident reaching out to both this advisor and others for your recommendations. Answer promptly. Don't keep the other person waiting. Friendliness is one of the main parts of courtesy. Our final question today is about mixing cultural norms. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm really stumped on this one, so I hope you can all help. My friends, she's American, he's British, are getting married where they now live in San Francisco. Because of logistics, budget, and tradition, they've decided to adopt the British wedding custom of splitting guests into two groups. Group A are very close family and friends, and they get invited to the ceremony, cocktail hour, dinner, and reception. Reception here means cake and dancing. Group B will include friends they haven't known for as long, some coworkers they're close with, etc. And they get invited to the reception only. This sounds awesome, right? <laughs> Question mark, exclamation point. I think this is such a brilliant way to include all the people that you want to celebrate with, even if there's not the budget or space for all of them at the sit-down dinner. My question is, how can they communicate this on invitations and on their wedding website? All of the Group B guests are American, so they're probably unfamiliar with this concept. Do you all have any ideas about how to let Group Beers know they'll be arriving after the ceremony and after dinner? I'm thinking about if I were invited to a wedding as a group B guest, I'd be thrilled once I understood the concept, but I might be a little confused if I didn't know what was going on. Many thanks for your insights and for your fabulous show, H. H! And I apologize for giggling while Dan read it, but the, that sounds awesome, right? I think she, I think H is more excited about it than Dan was. I, I, I know. I, I saw I, the question mark with the exclamation with point, point, and I thought it was like, appropriate. Right? right? <laughs> I'm getting it more like a, right? Right? Like, this is the best thing to hit weddings ever. But you are really right to be writing in about this one. This is dicey. And I don't say it's dicey because the British tradition is wrong in some way. It's the tradition over there. That's how it works. And that's perfectly fine. And I'd be curious to hear more about yes. that. This is we know somewhat new to me not being as sort of steeped in the wedding world as my cousin. I know we have quite a few listeners from the UK. So please, please, please send us feedback on this. I think you're smart to realize that Group B is mostly Americans and going to be given this kind of different procedure. I would indicate to them specifically that this is a British custom that you are following. That's your kind of get out of jail free card. Um, it's your kind of get out of jail free card on that one. Because you do need to explain this to the guests who aren't going to get it. I'll, I'll be honest. I would have mixed feelings. If it was a wedding, I wouldn't be able to attend at all unless they did it this way. I would be really grateful for the invitation to the reception. It's just the way it's happening. I feel a little bit like, oh, okay. We missed the ceremony? 
<laughs> like, I don't mind the missing the dinner part of it. You know, it's like not about going just for the food, even though people spend a lot of time and food at weddings usually is pretty good. But I think that th- this is dicey. And so your solution of explaining everything and making it really clear that this is a British custom, explain it on the website, explain it in an insert with the invitation. Um, it might be something that you just print up that says we are following the traditional British custom of inviting only like immediate family to the wedding and dinner and then throwing a large party later in the evening for all of our friends to gather. We understand that this is different from the American custom of attending both the ceremony and reception, but we hope you will all come and celebrate and have a wonderful time with us. We'd love to see you there. Something along those lines is going to get the message across clearly and double down on the fact that no, you're not invited to the ceremony. Which or the dinner, which it's like a double downing that doesn't sound too offensive. <laughs> Anytime you're changing a tradition, whether it's an established tradition within a family or in this case, a much more broad cultural tradition of how weddings are generally hosted and attended, you want to acknowledge that change in tradition and do everything you possibly can to prepare people so they're not surprised so that You're acknowledging their social expectations and when you make that change, you're doing it intelligently and thoughtfully. In many ways, the definition of manners are our social expectations of each other and this is a major social expectation that you're going to start to play with and shift. And I like this idea of the the get-out-of-jail-free card because (laughs) the other thing about manners is that they vary. They change. They change over time. They change from one culture to another. And one of the real tricks navigating social expectations and manners well is identifying what field you're playing on and who the characters are. And I, I, I hear all of that thinking in this question when you're talking about both where the couple are coming from but also the location of the wedding in San Francisco in America mm-hmm. and the fact that most of these guests are going to be American and that's going to be the tradition that they're most familiar with. Absolutely. You guys did a really great job of it with Pooja's wedding where the actual wedding ceremony is a really different experience, not because of all the different things that happened to it. I mean, there there were many. I was thinking it, about this also. But you communicated to all of us that it's okay to get up, to go get drinks, to mingle around during the ceremony. It was a very hot day. I tried sitting in that chair for as long as I could, observing my... And finally, I was like, wait a minute. It's okay for me to get up and go get a glass of water or move my chair to a place that's shadier. It it, it took me a long time to feel comfortable breaking out of my norm. And you might find that a number of guests arrive and they don't know whether they're supposed to ask about the ceremony or what you all ate for dinner or just... Be prepared for some of these kind of mild, awkward conversations to happen or be prepared to just feel comfortable talking about the other aspects of the day or how this is different and you're really loving it. Just be prepared for it to be something. I remember saying, like, nudging someone next to me, is it really okay to get up and go get some more? Yes, it's really okay. Okay, good. (laughs) In fact, there's lemonade and treats right back there. They're for that for a reason. (laughs) H, we hope that this helps, and we hope that it is a fabulous, fabulous wedding. And you know, I think it meant a lot to him, having us there, having his friends sort of share it with him. Thank you for your 
questions, please, please, please send us more questions and also send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Sustaining members, please remember to put sustaining member in your question. Or you can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag AwesomeEtiquette in your post so that we know you want your question or feedback on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Ilana had this feedback from episode 213. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I was just listening to episode number 213, in which you discuss the Be Better at Parties article, and it reminded me of a Danish custom that I've come to really appreciate. As an American and an introvert, my MO at parties has always been stick very close to whoever I know, and if I can't find anyone I know, hang around the snacks or on my phone until I notice someone else looking as awkward as me, at which point I strike up a conversation. In Denmark, the norm is that when you arrive at a party, the first thing you should do is go around and say hello to all the guests who are already there. It's super quick, just a hug or handshake, and introduce yourself to anyone you haven't met. And then you can start talking to whoever you like. I think you would do this at smaller gatherings in the U.S., like a dinner party, but I've done this with up to 30 or so people at Danish parties. The first time I experienced this, I thought it was so strange. You just go up to everyone you don't know and say hi. But I've come to really appreciate it. It's so much easier to strike up a conversation with someone later on in the party when you've already met at the beginning. It's such a great way to break the ice right away, and it gives you something to do as soon as you walk in that isn't just standing there in panic mode. Thanks for the great podcast. Best, Alana. Well, I'm a fan of that tradition. I, I say we should adopt. <laughs> I like it too. It's advice I sometimes give people in business networking situations that you always introduce yourself as people arrive at mm-hmm. events and how much easier it makes it later on to go check up and touch base. I love this idea of just a quick... Hello, hi, no no strings attached, no difficulty, awkwardness, just introduction early on in a night. It really does pave the way for better interactions later. And if it's the if it's the custom of everyone, then it doesn't feel like you're this one person walking into a party and inserting yourself upon all the micro conversations that are happening. A form of this kind of does happen in the U.S. because oftentimes you'll walk into a party and as you're walking through to take off your coat, go find the host and say hello, go get your drink, you know, whatever it is, you kind of do pass through all the other people in the party and often there's a nod or a hello or that sort of thing happening. So I, I like it and I want to encourage it further. Thank you for sharing this with us. Our next piece of feedback comes from Honeymooner. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. First, thank you for answering my question on the show. I'm writing to you today to give you an update, feedback, and a question, which we will hear in next week's show. Update. I had the tricky, tricky, tricky question from episode 202 about how to deal with my sister's boyfriend who was not polite while drinking at my parents' home, and I was worried about his behavior at my open bar wedding. You both gave wonderful insight, which enabled me to handle this situation and have the wedding of my dreams. Ah, yay! Yes. I decided to use your sample script and talked with my mom saying, do you feel like the boyfriend was acting inappropriate at your home? This completely opened up the conversation and allowed my mom to realize that this may not be a one-time incident. She used the opportunity while traveling to the wedding, it was a four-hour trip, to chat about representing the family well during the event. The reception went off without a hitch. I did let the bartenders know not to serve anyone who was loud and obnoxious, but it never got to that point. Thank you again for your help. 
Continuing on with feedback. Since my wedding is fresh in my mind, I had some feedback about chipping in last minute at a wedding from episode 210. I wanted to throw out a possible scenario that I could see happening. The bride and groom are getting down to the wire for the event, and oh no, there are so many details that they didn't even think about. In bold, with stars all around it, hyperventilation! (laughs) They are so overwhelmed and start talking to their best man about how stressed they are and have too much to do and not enough money. The best man, being the great guy that he is, offers to take some items off their plate and says, no worries, guys, I'll take care of this. I'll reach out to our friends and we will make it happen. The not-so-great text is blasted out to the group, which caused the wedding guests to be surprised and confused. As a side note, I was a very organized bride. I had an Excel sheet with notes filling 11 tabs. No joke. And two weeks before the wedding, I was still being surprised by teensy details I had never thought about. Fortunately for me, I had in-town family and friends who I could rely on for these details that I didn't anticipate. However, not everyone is so fortunate, so it's great to have friends who can help when possible. Honeymooner, I like that feedback. I did too. (laughs) It's very generous and it allows for a lot of understanding about how something that could start as just a very real-world situation, develops into something that's perceived as very bad etiquette. And I think it reinforces what I hope was the heart of our advice, which is that, yeah, this wasn't the best, but try to treat it as if it wasn't the worst and hold yourself accountable to how you respond and think about what you would do if you were in a tough situation with your wedding and how you'd like people to reply. So I got to say, when you really read this feedback section of Honeymooner's feedback, as opposed to the update, it This is someone who is really not only thinking from a positive perspective, but from a well-rounded perspective and also one that's just being very generous. It would be so easy to sit there as the person imagining all this and being like, oh, how could they not? This is such an imposition. But Honeymooner is taking a minute here and saying, what if the scene played out like this? How would I want my friends to react? It puts Honeymooner in the perfect position to then operate from that place of, you know, pull up the bootstraps and help out or think about it sympathetically. And all of a sudden you want to be generous. And I just I like I like all that's going on here. Honeymooner, thank you so much for contributing to today's show. And we're so glad that you had the wedding of your dreams. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. Thank you for sending your thoughts and your updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript is about saying no. No! No. 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 Yes. (laughs) Saying no is something that many people struggle with. And during the holiday season, it can seem like you have to say no to a lot because you're saying yes to so much more. I mean, I know people who start getting their holiday parties prepared in October and September because they're so sick of people saying no when they issue invitations in November. It is the season. It really is. So we have a really great section in Emily Post's Etiquette 19th edition on pages 9 and 10 that's called The Courteous No. And I thought that we would do a little reading and discuss some of it because I think it's something we do have to get better at. And there are kind of finer points that make it go well. So, again, this is from page uh, 9 and 10 in Emily Post's Etiquette, the 19th edition. The Courteous No. 
How do you politely turn down an offer, request, or invitation? It's amazing how often people are hesitant to say no when they really want to. Honesty is one of the bedrock principles of good manners. The simple no thank you learned in childhood should be part of every adult's daily vocabulary. Everyone understands that no is a necessary answer sometimes, but how you deliver that message is what counts. Here are the ways to help you say no considerately and effectively. First, count to 10. Take a moment to weigh your pros and cons and evaluate your limits, time, money, interest. The result is that you'll have the power of your convictions, making the no easier to deliver and easier for the requester to accept. Accompany a no with a positive comment. No, but thanks for asking me, expresses appreciation for the person's thoughtfulness. No, but I hope you have a good time would also be something else you could say, right, cuz? I'm getting nods from over there. Three, give a good, honest reason when possible. No, I'm swamped with my work schedule. No, I give to other charities. No, Joe and I have plans Friday night, but maybe next time. Give a reason only if it's the truthful reason and helpful to your response. Four, avoid equivocating. A reasonable no isn't a cause for guilt, so don't hem and haw. I don't think I can, or I probably shouldn't, gives the impression that you haven't decided quite and leaves the door open for further persuasion. Failing to be definitive can prolong the discussion to everyone's discomfort. Five, don't open the door to future requests unless you'll welcome them. Respond clearly. No, with my work schedule, I really can't. I'll let you know if my situation changes. If you'd like to help in the future, say so. No, I can't help this time, but please call me for the next project. Beware of traps. It's okay to resist someone's campaign to change your mind. Uh, be it flattery. Your pumpkin pies are so good. How about five for Thanksgiving dinner? I'm glad you like them, but I only have time to bake two. Bullying. You've got to help out. Everyone else is calling 200 names on the list. Next time, I'd be happy to, but right now, it's just not a possibility. Making it your problem. I'm so swamped. Could you just... I'm so sorry you're so swamped, but I have to meet my own deadline. Finally, is that your final answer? When someone says no, turning down an invitation or request, it's important to respect his or her decision. Trying to cajole a yes or giving her the third degree and then arguing each excuse is both insensitive and rude. Of course, if the two of you have been trying to match your calendars for dinner dates, by all means propose an alternate. The invitation has already been tacitly accepted, and you're both just trying to find the right time. I liked all these different ways of saying no, all these different reasons you could have for saying no, and that it is really okay to say no. Even if someone's countering with this, that, or the other thing? Absolutely. And I, for me, the two that really struck out were the counting to 10. And in my mind, that's not 10 full counts, but it is just taking a moment because... I am that person who panics at receiving an invitation and is often thinking of the 10 other things that I might have going on that I've forgotten about. 
And then just the general, my own interest in whatever it is and whether or not I want to go do this thing I'm being asked to go do. And that second to remember what I have going on in the week or even that I need to check my calendar before I can respond to anything, it's become a, a real uh, savior to me. <laughs> like it's, it's a saving grace for sure. <laughs> that was the part of this reading that jumped out to me also. I loved the moment of reflection where you focused on honesty and is it that you're swamped? Is it that you've got another commitment? Or is it that you really just don't have the interest? And the the per, giving yourself the permission to just not be interested, yeah. I think, also saves you the trap or the temptation into dishonesty, even in your own thinking about it or in the way that you talk about it later on, that you can be clear with someone in your no. That's the sort of practical advice about delivering the no. Don't equivocate. It's your choice and you're allowed to say it. You can just say no. You can stick to that decision, having made that decision for whatever reason. And your interest is a valid reason to make a decision to say no. Absolutely. We hope that this helps you all feel a little more confident about your courteous no's. We like to end our show on a high note. So we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world. And that can come in so many forms. Today we hear from Christina. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you for making the show for the last few years. I find the show really enjoyable. It also reinforces the things my mother tried to teach me as a child, but I somehow failed to learn. I wanted to send an etiquette salute to my colleagues in Minnesota and Wisconsin. I work for a major healthcare organization. Recently, we underwent a huge software upgrade. I've gone through two software changes with this company, roughly five in my life, and this time was like nothing I've ever seen. We had colleagues up north, go through this software change six months to a year before our switchover. When it came time for my site to switch, over 200 people left their homes and flew down to help support roughly 14,000 of us as we all switched to the new software. While I didn't get to meet all 200 volunteers, the few I worked closely with became quick friends. They kept things positive and hopeful when some of our team felt like they would never understand the software. They were vulnerable about how they felt hopeless when they started, but now they feel confident. Some support staff would bring us donuts, pastries, and snacks. They were visitors here to help us, and yet they made sure we had snacks on top of the technical support they provided. While I was sad to see them all go back home, I now have new friends to visit when I go up north. They were also kind enough to emphasize we could reach out with questions or hurdles we ran into, and they would do their best to help us. They left a week or two ago, and I have reached out a handful of times in some questionable scenarios. Each time, these ladies would quickly answer our questions and are still supporting and cheering us on from far away. Because of these ladies, I understand the phrase, Minnesota nice, more than ever before. I'd like to thank every single person who came down to Arizona to support us during our transition and for expertly handling our exhaustion, frustration, 50 million questions, and possibly a few mental breakdowns with nothing but grace, humor, and kindness. I'm so thankful all these people willingly left their families for a week or longer to help make our software switch a success. Christina. Christina, that is wonderful. And how awesome to just have this all these people coming and helping and not only helping, but then being incredibly nice and thoughtful and courteous while they do it. My goodness, that's a that's an etiquette salute for sure. So often we hear about things that are personal or social, and I really appreciated hearing a business salute where you felt supported in considerate, respectful, kind and honest ways. Thank you so much for sharing. 
And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, feedback, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text message at 802-858-KIND. Program it into your phones. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. That's Daniel with an (laughs) I-E-L. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider helping us out. We cannot ask you enough. Please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by the amazing Chris Albertine. And our assistant producer is Bridget Dowd. Thank you, Chris Chris and Bridget. Bridget. On the other hand, thank you is a simple way to repay those who do things for you.